for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. talking about worship. You know, we, we were, we're made to worship. That's why we exist. Like that's, if you were asking God, why did he create us? He created us for his glory. Like not only do you uh, represent God's glory, but your existence is for God's glory. And, and so we're going to be talking this month, as we've been talking all this year, about getting our lives in that right order so that we are living the lives we're supposed to live, but also ordered by God in the way that we're supposed to be. We are, we are made individually to worship. And if you are looking for evidence that for that, just look at your own life. We chronically worship stuff. But, you know, it might be the new car that you got or the new car that you desire. I don't know if you, like, I don't get that excited about cars anymore, but there was a time in my life when a new car or a new motorbike meant the entire world to me. I had posters of motorbikes up around my bedroom when I was a teenager, obsessed about them, loved them, uh, also guns and other things I won't talk about, but I just, I just obsessed with things. I even had one car that I just loved so much, and the Lord did not love it that as much as I did, so I rolled it and I lost it completely. But that's another story. But you notice all the time, you get, you get a love for things. I want this, I want that. Wouldn't that be amazing? My life is great if I could have these things. But it's not just that. We love the things that bring us the concept of success, whether that's your sporting team, although at the moment, South Australian sporting teams aren't doing so great, so we're more sad than glad, but we, we, we love it when people do well. We worship the human achievement and endeavor. We love when the team wins. We, we, we share that spirit. We also love it when people love us. You know, I just, I, I, I feel so sorry for young teenage girls today. They live in these social media worlds where so much of their self-esteem for the next day is based on how many likes came through on the picture that they posted that was just perfect with your fingers just perfectly on the back of your phone as you took a selfie picture in the mirror and you had to have it just right and your hair just right. And then, and then you wait in anticipation. Is somebody going to like my photo? And then is it, it's just, we get this massive adrenaline surge. But you, we can make fun of teenage girls, but the reality is every single one of us are like that. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to have affection. And we need that kind of affection. We love love. Of course, we also love family. And family, we, we kind of notch things up. You know, in fact, you might be in part of a family where you are criticized for working and achieving so much because isn't family more, more worthy of your devotion? Why are you obsessed with getting more stuff? Isn't family more important? And we kind of notch things up. We say, well, even family is worth our devotion, our sacrifice, our, our interest. But we are, end up loving our family, which is why Jesus told us we have to love God even more than our families. I was uh, at uh, Lockie's house not recently. You weren't there, but uh, Jody was helping Lily with her closet organization, which is something both Lily and jo- Jody love. Uh, so I was watching YouTube. Uh, and I noticed in Lockie's uh, YouTube feed that uh, there was lots of drumming things. 
Um, and he had told me, he said, you got to watch what Dave Grohl said. Dave Grohl's the lead singer from the Foo Fighters. Uh, you got to watch some of these things that Dave Grohl did on drumming. And so I was watching these things that he had there. And, I was, and then I started watching some of the concerts for Foo Fighters and stuff like that. And then I saw this. And I was upset and confused. There's Dave Grohl in the middle of the stage playing his guitar on a chair because he's got a broken foot or something. Notice what everyone in the crowd is doing arms stretched out. If you remove Dave Grohl and put a golden calf, we would have the Exodus scene, wouldn't we? We, we, this disturbed me, not so much because I already know that's what people do. I don't think they're really worshiping Dave Grohl. They might love music. They might love concerts. They might love the environment. They might love all of that. But what disturbed me is how similar it was to this. That we could go to church because we love the music, we love the lights, we love the success, we love the building, we love the power, we love, we love, we love. And because we are made to be worshipers, it's very, it's very difficult for us to get our attention on the right thing in our worship or the right one in our worship. And we can easily become distracted by all of these other loves that are in us. So what makes awe? What makes worship? If we're trying to get our worship right, let's start from the front end and say, why do we worship and what could we possibly experience or know that would actually draw us into correct worship? Since all of these other things we are just drawn to, and it's not like we got up in the morning and said, I think I'm going to like stuff. We are just drawn to it. So what do, let's ask the question, what makes worship and how do you spell worship correctly? <laughs> If you're noticing my slide in the speed typing manner. You know, Jesus said one time in answer to a question, he said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, this is the great and first commandment. Now, of course, that is a great summary of all of the commandments. All of the commandments are actually guidelines, pictures, ideas that help us to understand what it looks like to be really devoted to God. Don't do this, do this. A life that's in love with God does this. But then Jesus takes the commandments and he ramps them up to a level that I don't think humanity was ready for. Everything? Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything? I mean, I think a lot of people in that crowd probably rocked up that day to hear Jesus talk about the great commandment, and he says the great commandment, and they, they thought, yeah, I do that. Yeah, yeah, God's first. And then he said, no, no, no. It's everything. And people were going, um, all my soul? What about all my heart? All my, all my strength? It's the word all that kills us. But the... What it made me think is a different question. Why do we need to be commanded to love God? Why? Pick your favorite food. Ashley, what's your favorite food? Um, curry. All right. Curry. All right. Okay. Popular. Not everybody's sharing it right now. Yeah, she doesn't mind a, a spicy curry. Why do you love Curry. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you have to be commanded to love curry? Did your mom serve you up curry in the morning and say, you will love this? 
It's spicy. It's going to burn you, but you will love it, Ash. It'll terrify your life, and it'll burn your guts, and you'll be on the toilet for an hour, but you will love this curry. Now, it's, it's silly. <laughs> it's silly, isn't it, to think that we would be commanded to love something, isn't it? Isn't love, the love that we have, just the response to the thing? So if the response to the thing is broken, then I'll just suggest this. Maybe you haven't tasted it. So in the book of Romans, Paul explains the gospel. Here is the, here is the most important verse. And then following this is the explanation. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He's talking about something that you can know about God that will transform your life. Change it completely. Not by your work, but by the power of God. First for the Jew, then also for the Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Because it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He said, God has always said it is a faith response to who God is and what he does that reveals the power of God towards you and you experience a transformation, a righteousness that's not by your works, but by God's works. And then he begins to explain why we need this gospel so much. So he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to him for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God is saying, we were made for worship. We were made because God is the greatest, the grandest, the biggest, and it's obvious. You, every single person, every single day recognizes them that they didn't make themselves and they can't keep themselves. We're all gonna die. We all have limitations. We're not eternal. We don't have power. We know that we're less We know that the things about us are not enough, and we suppress it. Every day, we know that we can't without God, and we pretend that we can. Oh, look at me playing my guitar. I'm an amazing musician, Dave Grohl. Look, 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 look. I am enough. You are in denial of the truth. You're not enough. And God has revealed that across his whole creation. His response is... Wrath. And you might say, well, wrath? Why would God get angry? We're very uncomfortable these days with the idea of wrath. We're like, no, that's unfair. God is loving. He would never have wrath. Oh, come on. As if you could have somebody in the world that goes and corruptly destroys someone else for their own self-interest, and then they go before the judge, and the judge goes, well, I've decided to be loving and gracious to this person and just let him off for mass murder. Like, that would not be right, and you would be in the streets protesting with every other person saying, we want more wrath! Because wrath is the response to injustice. And God is saying the entire world is is trapped, self-lying, and lying to others, saying that we are more important than God, and anyone who propagates that lie is destroying humanity. We are not living our purpose, and God's response is wrath. It has to be wrath but we'll see where the wrath goes. And then he says the outcome of that is this. 
Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He said that the byproduct of wrong worship, like if we don't have our worship right, the problem is our, our brains go corrupt. We can't tell what's right from wrong after that. You just, you might want to, but you can't. You're constantly confused. Our futile thinking and our darkened hearts, we become fools. We act dumb, all because we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship something else. And every time you worship something else, every time your worship is not God, heart, soul, mind, strength, if it's not God, we act crazy. We act dumb. Oh, sorry, clicking. False worship is the most crazy thing about humanity. Why would you worship a car? Dumb. When we don't love God most, we act crazy, foolish. Humanity with God at the center is always looking back and asking, what was I thinking? One time, when I was a teenager, um, up until this point, my, my dad had always cut my hair. Uh, so you can imagine how great those school photos look. <laughs> but eventually, couldn't wait on dad. Dad's not, you know, he's shift working. You know, I'm becoming more aware of my grooming practices. I took upon myself the haircutting duties. You can imagine how butchered that looked for a while. And I can tell you that shoe polish was used on occasion to disguise pink scalp. But one time, after cutting my hair, I recognized that the hair on the back of my neck had grown exceedingly long. I was more of a horse than a human, with a lovely mane. And then, that's much harder to cut in the mirror. Anyone? Like, you just can't get that. So I had these super scissors in my toolbox that would cut through anything. And I figured, that'll do. So I grabbed the hair on the back of my neck and put my super scissors across them and sliced through my neck. Later, when telling people about this wonderful idea that I had, what came to me was, what was I thinking? How did that be a good idea? That I should... Come on! You're a human being. Ask another human being to trim it for you. Anyone? What were you thinking? Now, what God is saying is... When we lose God at the center, God of devotion to him, every other decision in life is is a foolish way of hurting ourselves. And even worse, we go and cut the necks of other people because we think, look at me, I figured it out. I'll scar you like I've been scarred. That's religion, putting burdens on other people that you can't bear yourself. So, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Lord of the Flies but the, or the, read the book. The Lord of the Flies is a simple story, and I'll give you the entire thing away so you never have to read it. 
uh, a bunch of young schoolboys are marooned on an on a ocean-going vessel, and they manage to swim to shore, but they are, it's only the young boys. There's no adults. The, they've gone down with the ship. So they are marooned on this island, and they have to set up their own community, government, rules. And it goes so badly as individual desire competes against other individual desire, as somebody's ideas compete against somebody else's, that they end up fighting, and by the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, the end of the story, the entire island is on fire, and they are chasing down somebody to murder him. And that boy who is on the run runs out onto the beach, and there on the beach is a man who's come in from a rescue ship, and it's their first encounter with adults since they've been marooned. And every single one of those boys, when they see the adult, goes, what were we thinking? How did we end up as a bunch of savages that are trying to kill one another and set the entire island on fire? And you see, that's what God is saying I'm like. When I step into your world, it always makes you go, what was I thinking? So... When we worship right, we think clearly. So when Paul is summing up that section of doctrine in Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And do you see the restoration there? That when worship finally is restored in God, by Romans chapter 1, right through to that point, he explains the gospel. When God does that, this is what happens in you. You become a worshiper. And what happens to your mind? Well, your mind starts getting transformed. You start to be able to think clearly. You discern rightly. You can tell what is good and right and acceptable. You can tell what the will of God is. Why? Because your mind that was futile and darkened has been healed because of your worship is now right. But you can't have that renewed mind until you first have the renewed heart. You can't have worship until you know, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. You see, it's an understanding of God's mercy towards you that turns your affection towards God. Well, the law of sowing and reaping, anyone? You know, you plant something, that's what you grow. Uh, you can't plant oranges and expect apples. You can't split wheat and expect to get grapes. You always reap what you've sown, right? Can you reap something that you haven't sown? No, it's a law. And that's why... In the life of Jesus, so many people came to him trying to be lovers of God, and he's saying, but what was sown in you? Why are you saying you can reap all of this if nuts never been sown in you? So one time, a woman approaches Jesus. The story's been found in Luke chapter 7. For time, I won't go through the whole thing. But this woman comes to Jesus. While Jesus is at a Pharisee's, a religious person's house, and they're having a meal together, sharing, having, talking, and, and the way that they lied in those, well, they sat or you know, ate in those days, with, they would lie on an elbow towards a central table, and all of the men, or the, and it would be men, all of their legs would be towards the exterior as they lied down to, and shared a meal. While they were eating, this woman comes in, and she begins to, she breaks an expensive bar of, jar of perfume and puts it on Jesus' feet. She cries on Jesus' feet. She begins to wash his feet with her tears. 
She's just absolutely in love with him. And the Pharisee goes, Jesus, if he's a prophet, he'd be able to tell that woman is no good. And Jesus is like, I know. Let me tell you what a prophet I am. I'll just tell you what you thought. And he says, let me tell you a story, Simon. What if somebody had a, what if, what if there's a money lender or a king who had, a, who had two people who owed him money? One owed him 50 bucks and the other owed him 500. And he decided to forgive both people their debts. Which of them do you think would love him more? And he said, well, of course, the one who was forgiven more. And so Jesus begins to show the comparison, turning towards the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Do you see that? You didn't, she did, you didn't, she did, you didn't, she did. Why do you think she's the worshiper in this situation? Why is she the one weeping? Simon, it's not because I'm saying you're a bad guy. It's you don't know you're a bad guy and how much I could love you too. You see, he had never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, but until that moment, nobody had really explained that you can't love God until God loves you. But the woman figured it out. The worst person. She was probably a city prostitute. She probably lived a horrible life. We don't know her history, but we don't know why she's experienced the mercy of God, but we do know she did experience the mercy of God. Maybe God healed her. Maybe Jesus one day healed her family member. One day Jesus delivered her from demons. One day Jesus saw her and forgave her. Maybe she's the woman from John chapter 8 who was caught in adultery and Jesus gets her off the death sentence. We don't know but she's grateful. She said, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little, which is why Paul says it's always a reflection of the mercy of God that makes us a worshiper. Love is always manifested, put into light on the cross of Jesus. He says, While we were still weak, this is in the central part of Paul's argument, the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know? If I'm saying to you, what you need to know is God's love for you, so that you can live rightly and love him back. If I said that to you, you say, well, then I need to know the love of God. What does it look like? Is it because he gives me a good day? Is it because he gives me a nice car? Is it because he gives me a nice family? Well, you all know that every one of those things that I've just said can easily slip away. In fact, everybody with the perfect family has also lost members of the perfect family. Everybody with an amazing car has also lost an amazing car to rust and decay. If you're around long enough, it happens. Sorry, guys. Everything on, everything on this earth, everything about the human experience on this earth, whether that's good times or bad, whether that's family like it's amazing or jobs or success or feelings of good or good mental health or good physical health, every single one of those things is fragile and it can end. Does that mean that God's love for you ends? Because I'll guarantee you, you've had a moment when you've had a bad time that you've thought, I wonder if God loves me. Because if he loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. No, no, no. The Bible never, ever says, look to your earthly life to tell whether God loves you. He says, look to the cross. 
It's only in the cross that you will see clearly the love of God explained, demonstrated, and revealed, brought into the light. Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, was sacrificed for you. Where did that mercy of God go? Where did that mercy, sorry, where did the wrath of God go? The wrath of God for all of mankind was poured out on Christ Jesus. He experienced the wrath of God so that we would never experience the wrath of God. Would you take somebody else's wrath? We wouldn't. But he says, you can tell how much God loves you that even though you deserved wrath, Jesus took it in your place. And that's how you know he loves you. And so he says, in this The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. This is love. But you notice how he says, not that we loved God? Isn't that great? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, you didn't do it. You didn't but he loved you. And that's what changes us. That's why he says we love because he first loved us. My friends, I don't know if you noticed this, but the songs that we sing here in church, most of them are not written by us. I don't I think we're doing any that we've written right now. These songs that God is having written across the church world and sung are full of pictures of the cross. I don't think that that's because the clever thinking of individuals has forced us to sing regularly about the crucifixion of Jesus. No. I think that God's Holy Spirit has been leading. God's Spirit has been proclaiming in our songs to make the songs not about what we do, but what God has done for us. Because when we see his love for us, I'll tell you, it's like tasting that chili. You're just like, ooh, spicy, (laughs) but I like it. Maybe for you it's a glass of wine, maybe for you it's chocolate, maybe for you it's a nice steak, and you're cutting through that steak, and you pop it in your mouth, and you're just like, oh yeah, I'm going back for more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's where worship comes from. And then it's not works. It's not what you're doing. It's what he did, and it's just your affection back. I'll get the worship team to come back. We're going to express our love to God again, but let me pray for us that we can have this revelation. Father, I know that there's people here today that, Lord, they would love to live a better life. They would love their lives to be more about you. They look back at their lives and go, what was I thinking? Lord, so many mistakes, wrong choices, bad decisions, emotions out of control, desires that are wrong. Lord, I know that you see all of this and you have compassion on us. How will you heal us? Lord, you'll heal us by preaching the gospel. So Lord, I pray that for every person here today who knows that their worship has not been on the mark Lord that you forgive us and let us experience forgiveness 
Let us know how welcome we are. Let us know the extent to which you have gone because of your love for us. We are lost, but you found us. We were your enemies, and you sacrificed your son for us. Lord, open our hearts to understand. Give us revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us affection for you, not worship where we're trying to earn things or fix our own lives. But Lord, give us gratitude for the fixing that you did in the cross, the wonder of your love for us. Lord, so that we can love you back, so that we can say thank you with true gratitude. Lord, even now, as we sing again and reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would stir by your spirit gratitude and revelation in our hearts. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.